Welcome. I'm Kevin Miller, and this podcast is called Self Helpful because not all self help is helpful. I'm your curator, critic, and translator of the best and brightest minds in the self help world today. In this episode, I kick off a series on bouncing back. Being resilient is the latest buzzword, but it's all another way of discussing how to recover from a setback. I have a few issues with the concept that I feel caused us all to miss what bouncing back really entails and how to effectively do it in our lives. We don't want to just simply bounce back, but bounce back better. A common phrase in the self-help world that I think derails us some is, it's not how many times you get knocked down that count, it's how many times you get back up. The quotes attributed both to legendary army officer George Custer and legendary football coach Vince Lombardi. And if you're talking about getting knocked down on the battlefield or the football field, it makes sense. But in our lives, if we keep getting knocked down and then just getting back up only to get knocked down again, it may showcase we haven't learned anything. If we're pursuing growth and evolution, we will likely continue to face setbacks, but hopefully they're at higher and higher levels and the setbacks aren't as severe. So just getting back up isn't the point. We want to learn from the knockdown and be wiser for it. And next, there are two different knockdown realities. One is when we get knocked down by someone or something. We're victimized, in essence. Getting back up from this takes one perspective. But so often we're knocked down by ourselves, by our own mistakes and failures. Getting back up from these takes a different type of mental power. Then also some people have never been up to a point they want to bounce back to as they were raised in a knocked down level of existence. To take on this topic and these issues, I've brought to you Dr. Nita Bouchon. You'll want to hear the full story and details that make what I'm about to tell you even more profound. But when Nita was 16, her mom died. When she was 17, her brother died. Then when she was 19, her dad died. She became caregiver for her younger brother. She went on to have some great success, or I wouldn't be talking to her here now, but how the story goes is going to impact you quite a bit. And she did start a successful cosmetic dental business. She married and then divorced from an abusive marriage. She founded the Global Grit Institute. She's co-founder of Dharma Coaching Institute. She has over 165,000 followers on Instagram and a popular podcast called The Brave Table, where people tune in to hear Nita's guidance on bouncing back. Now she has a new book titled That Sucked, Now What? How to Embrace the Joy in Chaos and Find Magic in the Mess. Speaking of that, if you go to That Sucked, nowwhat.com. Nita has a free 44-page guide you can have. We cover deep territory in regards to what resilience and bouncing back really is and how it differs depending on a lot. The Self-Helpful Podcast was founded by the Zig Ziglar Corporation. If you are a coach or consultant and want to add credibility, clients, and impact to your business, Go visit Ziggler.com today. Hey, this self-helpful podcast exists to help you find and understand the guidance and counsel that will help you elevate your personal experience of life and the way you show up for others. 
following these sponsors who help make the show possible and provide great resources for your life, I bring you Dr. Nita Bouchon and a paradigm-shifting discussion on bouncing back from failures, mistakes, and the traumas of our lives. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Nita, I honestly want to start deep if that's okay with you. You ready? Let's go. Let's go. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, well, you know, my book's coming out on drive. It's called what drives you. It's on drive. And, you know, to some degree, it's that Holy grail question of why are some people driven? Why are they not? And of course in the book, I break that down somewhat, but there's still somewhat of an unknown factor. And as we look at your book about, you know, that sucked and ultimately being resilient and coming out of that before you became who you are now, mm-hmm. your mom dies when you're 16 yeah. Brother dies at 17. Dad Ooh. dies at 19. Uh, unreal. You become a caregiver for your younger brother. And then boom, you start grinding away to get to where you own a medical practice and you're you know successful in that aspect. And then you go on to do what you're doing now. But back then, when you look at Nita back then, and you're writing this book and breaking this stuff down and you look back and go, hmm, what were the ingredients, what was the little, what was the catalyst or the, 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 the grain back then, the seed back then that you look back and go, I can kind of see why I recovered well, why it didn't overcome me and take me down. Do you see that? Or do you look back a little bit with a bit of mystery as well? Oh no, absolutely. I, I mean, it's taken me a really long time to get to this point. And I think that when I was going through the the grind as you called it and, and really the dark moments, you know, I think that that hero's journey that if we say yes to, we all tend to experience, but those were some of the, you know, the darkest times of my life. I mean, I know that there are people who go through tragedies and don't make it out. I know that even in my situation, someone who probably would have the same kind of upbringing, could have started a family early, dropped out of high school, um, got into drugs, all of these things. I had my own coping mechanisms, which we'll, we'll get into. Um, and, you know, it's it, all of those ingredients that I'll share, you know, now I have a framework for um, because things were so bad in the beginning that 
you know, walking through that fire, walking through that tunnel, you know, many days I'm like, are, is this over? <laughs> are we, are we done here? You know, when it, when, I mean, when things were so bad, when my brother, my mom had a, you know, she had a six year battle of cancer and she got sick when I was 10. So, um, you know, at 10 years old, your friends are, I don't know, playing with dolls. I'm like cooking eggs uh, for my family, making breakfast, families coming over to see my mom, paying the respects. We, you know, I grew up in a, uh, like my parents were immigrants. My dad was from India. My mom was from the Philippines. So there's cultural nuances there as well, where, you know, you're, you're taught to study, you know, and get straight A's and you couldn't come home with less than an A. And so on top of that, plus the tragedy that we were facing, you know, with my mom at such a young age. So it already primed me for, okay, how can I be a good girl? Okay. So that's, that was the first thing. Mm -hmm. How could I be good so that I can be accepted by my parents and I can not cause any trouble, kind of fly under the radar. And this would then um, be one of the leading forces for when I would then become a teenager and, you know, then lose my mom to cancer, lose my brother, you know, just out of the blue um, a year later. And he went through, you know, just an asthma attack and and had this whole collapse with his friend in front of uh, he was walking, you know, with his friend and just died pretty much on the spot. Um, yeah. I mean, it took me years, uh, you know, in order to just talk about that because sudden death I think is, is just a really hard one to swallow, especially when you're so young and we were very close in age, we were about 16 months apart. And so, um, and the one thing my dad would always say is, Nita, you are resilient. You are strong, you know? And so priming me for all of these like mantras, <clears throat> which I would then, you know, put in the back of my head. Right. And so that was, I was taught, okay, I was strong. I'm strong. I'm strong. So that meant strong girls don't cry. Mm-hmm. We don't show emotion. Um, we don't break. And so that led me to a whole period of, okay, I'm going to overachieve, which was my coping mechanism, overwork. I'm going to be constantly busy because the opposite of busyness meant you were lazy, which again was these, these were the value systems that were ingrained in me young. And so, you know, you never took a day off because my mom never took a day off. And well, you see what happened to my mom. Um, And so there were these cycles and these patterns. And so one of the things that, um, you know, was one of the ingredients that got me out of this tough time. And I started to recognize it when I was in college. Um, And there's a, you know, there's a chapter in my book where I talk about really being just I was I almost lost it when they told me that my dad had stage four lung cancer, they meaning the doctors. And, you know, just to give everybody context around what happened, we were already starting to climb out of this very dark cloud of grief and just sadness. And uh, and to give you cultural context, when a man loses his wife in the Indian um, culture, it's almost like you're kind of ousted from society or at least that's what was happening for him. It wasn't it, it, like people didn't know what to say. Wow. 
uh, a single dad, you know, raising his three kids, now two kids. And so they don't really know how to support. They did the best that they could. Like I said, we were surrounded by a lot of family, a lot of extended family, but his friendships, um, it was just harder for him to cope. And so, and of course that led him to deep depression and to, to, to deep darkness where I was at one point working three jobs, uh, just to support our family. And so I remember this, my dad, you know, we got him on the dating apps. It was like, you know, AOL, the dial up. And I think you were like talking about, you know, in chat rooms back then. Uh And so we were really excited, my brother Vinny and I, and we decided to dye his hair black because he had kind of like this silver fox hair because we were going to a wedding for the first time. And if you know anything about Indian weddings or, you know, Asian weddings, it's a big deal. And so um, as we were dyeing his hair, Basically, I guess he was allergic to the dye and got an allergic reaction. Oh, and no. so right away, immediately, where if you ever know anything about PTSD, I'm starting to have this panic attack. I'm like, oh, no, not again, not again. No, no, no. And so we call the ambulance. They came, you know, to pick him up. And we, you know, we go and they do all of these tests. So we get back to the same hospital, mind you, the same hospital where my mom was, my brother was. So... Um, my dad is there and they're doing all these tests and for whatever reason, they couldn't find out, you know, how the dye caused this major allergic reaction where his face literally swelled up twice the size. And they said he has stage four lung cancer. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. He's like in the best shape of his life. He was jogging six miles a day. He's now, you know, on all of these not apps, but like, you know, in these chat room, uh, speaking to women and we're going to this wedding, you're lying. And I couldn't believe it. And I had so much rage and so much anger. And I, then I just, I had to tame it down because I'm like, okay, I'm a good girl. I'm not going to scream, not going to yell, but I wanted to just give it to these doctors. Cause I thought, you know, 17, pretty much 18 years old at this point. And I'm, you know, so angry. And, you know, 10 months later, um, he passed away. And so at 19, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm walking through this really, really long, long tunnel and I'm trying to see the light of day. And one of the things that I needed to make clear and, and, and peace with was my upbringing because I couldn't change that. Yeah. I couldn't pretend that it didn't happen, even though I tried to. And there's a story, there's a chapter in my book where a year after I begged my grandmother and my aunt who were helping take care of us, uh, my brother and I, and I begged them so that I can go to study abroad because I just needed to get out. I couldn't go away to college. I got into all of the schools and this would then turn into the building blocks of what I talk about in That Sucked Now What? Because basically talking about and and getting out of our circumstances when we cannot control them, we have to really look and see what our current environment is. Well, I knew my current environment was just dark, gloomy, grim. And, yeah. and I, I mean, I was going through 
probably what I would now call depression back then. I didn't have the words for it. I didn't know, you know, what that looked like, but to experience joy on the other side of that and then to go back and say, wow, that was a really dark time, a really dark time. And thank God I had, you know, people checking on us. We had, you know, the school nurses obviously thinking that's, you know, they were paying close attention because they wanted to make sure we weren't going to harm ourselves just because of the tragedy and the PTSD that my brother and I had gone through. Um, and so the first part of this is, is forgiving our past. And, you know, that's, that's, that was everything for me, forgiving the fact that I was so young when all of this happened, forgiving the fact that there was nothing that I could do to change my mom mm-hmm. um, in, in, And, you know, many times as children, I think we blame it on ourselves and you hear people say, oh, when my parents got divorced, maybe it was on me or, you know, a lot of times the trauma is passed down because one parent gets so angry, but it's not towards the child, but the child then kind of internalizes it. So for for me, it was very, very important um, that you know, heading into my 20s and even now with everything that I do, and it's literally one of the factors that I talk about in the book called how to strengthen your bounce factor. And this literally is how to build that audacious resilience. And I'm not talking about mental toughness and resiliency, like what my dad used to pound in me in my head. It's the complete I wouldn't say opposite of that, but it's a, a yes and. It's yes, it's the toughness, but we also have to be compassionate to ourselves. And I think for the longest time I wasn't because I remember so vividly having, you know, gotten off the plane in Rome, Italy. I was about 20 years old. First time ever, full freedom, full like what is what is going on here? I, I can see why everybody goes to Italy. Um, because if you've ever been to Italy in the summer, every all the young kids, they go to study abroad. And that's exactly what I was doing. So the first time in my life, I could actually recreate who I was. Because the one thing a young person who's been through a lot of stuff does not want to share is, hey, where are you from? And what do your parents do? Because that would ultimately leave you as the outcast. And I definitely didn't want to go there. I, I, I mean, this, Nina, I, I do want to ask, I mean, this is because you talked about that being strong, right? Mm-hmm. That if we hear your story, it's easy to look at the fact that, man, you took care of things. You did what needed to be done. You overcame in quotes, you know, you overcame, you're an overcomer. You kicked butt. It didn't overcome you. You weren't a victim. You're good. And yet what you're talking about here, the whole package of bouncing back, because what I see in that is, yeah, you overcame the circumstances well, but that's not mental health. That's not your long-term wellness. And I, for one, I, I understand that. I understand the, you know, that's what got me into, uh, on the podium and professional athletics, man. You just, you kill it. You do what you gotta do. And that's what we applaud today. And that's what we applaud. It's what we love. We love the superhero who's mentally an absolute wreck and that's going to manifest later in life. But for the moment in the limelight, it looks good. And it, and I hear you talking about, okay, you, you saw that and you saw the dark side of it. That's it. And of course that's so much of what the book is coming. So as what you're talking about now that the bounce factor is not just, it's not just standing back up because we put so much focus on that and you can stand up and be just as punch drunk and ignorant as you were and keep fighting and get knocked down a hundred times if you don't learn something and you're telling us about what to learn. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the first part of the, you know, the book, I talk about having a chip on your shoulder yeah. because I definitely had a chip on my shoulder. I wanted to prove everyone who, wrong. Who wouldn't? I, I, yeah. Of, of course. And I, and you see all of these like stories of athletes and I even, you know, talk about some of my favorite athletes like Serena Williams, the sisters inside my book and how, you know, at such a young age to be trained in that, and we see this now with young people and their mental health in terms of, you know, these athletes who were just, we're priming and we're just priming them and we're priming them. But the same thing goes for having this space to actually say, you know what, I'm actually not feeling okay. Yeah. And I, I don't know how to feel otherwise. Because there was an adrenaline rush through my teen years to get through it and to overcome and to rise and to prove everybody wrong until, you know, like I said, I got to um, my time in, in Italy. And, and mind you, those two months were the most life changing, but they were also they were they really were so instrumental in how I would then lead the next 15 years of my life. And so this would also introduce me to the concept of, you know, these Italian philosophers, because I was studying Italian philosophy and stoicism mm -hmm. and how, you know, the Stoics really, really prided themselves on, you know, amor fati and amor fati just means love of one's fate. Because at this point of my life, there was a lot of me trying to prove everybody wrong, me not wanting to, you know, I was kind of stonewalling when people would ask because I didn't want to let everybody in. I didn't want right. to be vulnerable. I wanted to appear strong. But what I did realize was, okay, I could actually just turn this back on people when people were asking me, oh, tell me about your where'd you grow up? Did you, did you play any sports? You know, instead of saying, well, actually, no, I grew up in the hospital settings, <laughs> watching both my parents, actually. Um, you know, they'd be like, Oh, you know, you're the weird kid, but this is, this is where I started to learn. Okay. Let's focus it back on them. I guess you can say present day, you know, podcasting. I was going to say, <laughs> that makes a great <laughs> podcaster skill. Number one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, but, but I think it also led me to really understand, oh, okay, you can pick and choose who you want to let into your inner circle. Yeah. And this concept of Amor Fati really allowed me to say, wow, instead of why is this happening to me? Why am I in this victim state of like, why did this, why did my parents have to die? Instead of that to, okay, well, this is, you know, love of one's fate. That's what Marcus Aurelius talked about. That's what I was learning at Italian philosophy class. So that really shifted the way that I would approach, all right, you know, kind of this everything happens for a reason, but to love exactly the mess that we are in, to love it. And, and you know, it's kind of extrapolated to uh, even how, you know, later on in the book, I talk about how to fly forward. And many times when we have a sucky situation, a breakup, um, a, you know, a, a marriage crack, a betrayal, somebody cheats, a medical diagnosis, cancer diagnosis, you know, to be able to love that part of yourself, because we often reject that. And that then leads to shame. And it leads to, you know, 
guilt and it leads to shutting down and it leads to the self-sabotage, which I know so many athletes learn early on. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. You, you know, like, and, and we, we ruminate these thoughts in our head, which then causes us to self-sabotage even, you know, what we're actually going through. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so it, your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is. And Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. I want to ask about that because, I mean, thus far we've been talking about your past and these things that happened to you, which makes sense. The book's titled, That Sucked, That Sucked, That Thing Over There That Took My Family Out, um, That Sucked, The Fact That you know This Happened to Me, That Sucked. Now, you're talking about an athlete there, so often there, just to jump to the other side where we look at that and when we have that hard thing happen, that thing that sucks happen, and we think feel responsible. No, I, you mm-hmm. just talked about that. The mess that we're in that I created that mess. I'm the one that failed. I didn't achieve X, Y, Z. So now I have, because I come on that side of it. I didn't have a whole lot of things happen. I didn't have traumas or the acute ones, traumas and tragedies in life to where I felt like a victim. I was on the other side of, no, I am Superman. I'm responsible for everything. I'm not a victim. Mm-hmm. 
And then I'm a perfectionist. I can never add up and I suck. So my book says I sucked, not that sucked. And either way, and you're holding both of them, I know, but so often it's the victim aspect of that happened to me. But over here, the things where we look at and go, no, I did that, man. I failed. I screwed up. I made the mistake. And holding that sometimes feels, well, and I was going to say feels harder. It depends on your upbringing and where you came from and what you experienced. But my gosh, so hard when we take personal responsibility and we think, as you talk about so much in the book, I made that mistake. I didn't add up and I I caused that. That is me. Yeah. And if we get stuck in that, because, you know, I, I do talk about there's, there's two types of camps, basically something bad happens and, you know, we start internalizing, Oh, you know, that's, Oh crap. Okay. That was totally me. I did this. I I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of anything because we're so used to winning the medals. We're so used to placing first or second. And you know, what I talk about in the book is this zero sum game. And we're learning this when we are young. My son now is four years old and he's learning that if he does not win, like he's a loser. And then, you know, it's, he starts internalizing it. And so we're like, okay, no. And and this is why like sports is so important because then you kind of see, well, there's two teams, but literally there can only be one winner and one loser, right? That's what it is. Zero sum game. But then how do we then internalize those things to then breed the shame, the guilt that we're taking it on as if we were the ones in control. And so that's the one camp of folks that grow up. The other camp is the one that, you know, blames it on everybody else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they don't want to really sit in the suck because the suck is too painful to accept. So they're like, you did this, you did this. And they're turning outward and they're turning outward. And many times it is being in that victim state of, you know, you did this to me or I didn't have enough. So, you know, it's your fault. And so they don't take personal responsibility. Either one is, you know, it, it's, 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 it's embracing the suck in a way where it actually should be accepting of our humanity. What and, I did, ex- I did yeah, a third way there where I said, I didn't blame someone else, but I just said, I suck. That was yeah. where I turned, as opposed to coming back to where you were a second ago, in essence, the forgiving myself, the having compassion for myself, because I didn't want to sit in those negative emotions. Sure. I still don't. I'm learning. Uh, my therapist <laughs> is teaching me you know, to sit in that and feel it and, and, and embrace it, accept it, sit in it, and forgive self as well. But you, you mentioned a minute ago the hero's journey, and I like, and you said something to the effect of if we are willing to embrace it. So we can all sit in our comfort spot in the safety zone, but if we're going to step out and do something that's worthwhile to us and, and, and worthwhile to humanity, in essence, if we're going to go out there, we're going to face a challenge. We cannot be perfect. We're going to have a failure. And in that, I see a lot of people, a lot of kids these days who never really have the opportunity to fail. I like sports uh, in that aspect. I'm not a huge yeah. sports fan these days, but looking at my own kids and seeing, oh, you, it is a zero sum game, but you go out there and you can't even participate without having, you can't step on the court. You used to talk about Serena Williams. If you're going to go play tennis and you have the ability to be number one on planet earth, the day you step out there, you're going to suck and yeah. you've got to allow that. And we're kind of okay with that on sport. Okay. Yeah, I know I'm going to be bad until I get good, but dude, we don't do that 
in our life and realize if you're going to step out of college, get that first job, you're probably going to have a failure unless you totally play it safe. And if you totally play it safe, you're not going to be that much value uh, and you're probably going to get canned anyway. So you're kind of, (laughs) you might as well be the hero, right? Or step out and try to do something. Right. To embrace the suck. I mean, it's, it, it, it's wild. I even have, you know, a a challenge where we challenge people. All right. Suck for something, suck at something for 10 days and see if you can increase that to 20 days because so often, you know, and I'm, I'm a recovering perfectionist as well, where, you know, we strive for a certain level of excellence, but then we're so afraid to make that mistake and we're not. And because our society really applauds the perfection, the ideals, the winning, you know, and we don't really give much room to cry about the loss or cry about what didn't work out or the mistakes that we made or the failures and the setbacks and the challenges. We kind of gloss over it. We kind of bypass it and we're like, okay, on to the next one to keep going through and suppressing our nervous system. It's like, oh, wait. Oh, okay. We're going to just, we're going to gloss over that again so that when that same trigger comes up in the form of a friend that berates you or a colleague that stabs you in the back or, you know, whatever, we start to then harness and build this resentment that kind of stews. And then, of course, sometimes it, it, it releases in that way, probably not in the healthiest way, too. Here's something you got me thinking about in regards to how we look at the failure, the suck, the the whatever happened, that if I have a friend, my spouse, a family, you know, one of my kids, of course, but even just a friend, and they're going along and telling me, you know, X, Y, Z happened. And, you know, I did this and totally failed. And they're berating themselves and feel terrible. And I'm kind of looking and going, uh, I want to have compassion for them, but I'm also going, it's just a thing. It's just so easy for me to see it as just this little thing. Here's this great person. They did that, didn't work out. And it's just, it's not a big deal. And I'm so sorry, but eh, let's just go on. When it happens to me, it's everything. When it happens to us, it's everything. And you got me thinking about how can I put that kind of back to your self-forgiveness? How can I put that cap on and not internalize it so in depth as we can so easily see somebody else do it and think, Oh my gosh, why are they just freaking out? It's just, it's not that big a thing, but we do. It's, I wish we could, we could step back out of ourselves and do what's so feels so easy with other people. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I mean, we're, you know, the, uh, the analogy that I, you know, I, I usually share is we are so harsh on ourselves, but would we actually say the same thing if our best friend was going through a rough time? And, you know, many times we're like, oh, gosh, you know, you're such an idiot or you're such a failure. Like we're just kind of this rumination of thoughts in our minds. And most often it's because we've never given ourselves permission to release the pressure valve. And I have this one activity in the book where basically all we have to do is just release the pressure valve. What does that actually mean? Okay, well, when we're having a really sucky experience you get that bad email you get that bad text message you know you 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 looked at your stock portfolio whatever the case is and you're like ah okay what is this well you know say basically articulate what you're feeling to notice the sensation that's happening so notice that all right i'm starting to breathe shallow 
I'm starting to huff and puff. I'm starting to kind of go in my head and I'm starting to self critique myself and to just identify the emotion that I'm feeling. All right. I am feeling really, you know, dumb right now for overreacting, or I am feeling really anxious right now. I feel like I'm having a panic attack or I'm feeling really jealous. So to actually say these things, many times it's in our head, but when we say it and we identify it, it's less daunting. That's the way that we actually can release the pressure valve. Mirror that against venting, because I'm sure you've heard like I have. So if we take that and we just start raging at the machine and criticizing and blaming, we've got a lot of research now saying, dude, that venting just throws gas on the fire. So you're not talking about that. You're cat, you know, so reconcile that against that. Yeah. So, okay. Well, venting is just gonna, you know, blow, blow it up. Right. But what we're doing, because in the venting, when you're doing that, what you're doing is you're going into a full spiral and we're spiraling into our self doubt, into our self loathing, into our self criticism versus, and you're taking the identity of that. You're saying I'm an idiot or I can't do anything right. Or I, you know, effing suck. Right. That's, taking the identity of that. Instead, you can still process an emotion and you can get rageful. You can get angry. And that's actually a good thing, right? But, you know, we've got to do it in a way where we're identifying the feeling that we're feeling. We're not castrating ourselves and putting ourselves down. So a healthy way to do this is instead of saying, you know, I'm an idiot, I'm feeling, I'm feeling really frustrated right now that blank. I'm feeling very anxious right now. I'm feeling really overwhelmed because, you know, the underbelly of like, I'm feeling, or I'm an idiot, or I can't do anything right. What's the underbelly of that? What's the actual feeling? Well, I feel that I'm not worthy. Okay. Well, that's really deep. All right. Well, why do we feel unworthy? Well, this is the third time I've tried to do something and I can't do it. Okay. Do we need support? Can we say that out loud that maybe I need support? Now, this is like jumping ahead. But when we actually are present to the moment of feeling instead of ruminating in our head, because this is what we're we're ruminating and we're venting. But when we're venting, we're actually saying things to diminish ourselves instead of saying, okay. I need a pause. I need a break. I need to breathe. And usually when we put our hand over our heart, this is a physical signal that actually helps us calm our nervous system. Scientists have used this for decades. Mm -hmm. And we all know that the dose hormones, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and um, endorphins basically is released when we actually put our hand over our heart. It's just a way to say, all right, you got this. It's not so bad. You got this. We can pause and we can get some oxygen in our body. And now we can say, wow, I am feeling blank because we are not internalizing it. We're not taking it on as our identity. We can still rage. We can still get angry and we can still feel what's happening because majority of us will clench our fists. Mm -hmm. Majority of us will raise our shoulders to our ears and Will like for myself, I clench my jaws. Some people get a massive, you know, tension headache in their head. You know, some of us need to step up or stand up and start walking and pacing because we need to move that energy. And so, you know, 
the thing is, is we judge ourselves for doing all of this, but these are natural ways that we can process our emotion without punching a wall, maybe get a boxing, you know, I, we, I, we're, I'm start, I'm starting to like create this like rage room in, in our garage actually. And, um, and it's great because it's teaching my kids to actually release big emotions. So I have a pillow in that, you know, but, um, my kid goes to my, my son goes to Taekwondo or life keto, which is like a mixed martial arts. And so they have these, like, you probably know this, but these big pillows that you hold it and then, then they kick. And I'm like, I need one of these so that like we can start, you know, punching it. Cause the, you know, the, the boxing bags are so heavy, mm-hmm. but you can just, so a bean bag, something, but to allow yourself to release I, that anger. I didn't know those existed. Those So I just got a text this morning from uh, Brianna Brown Keen. She's a, an actress and she's been on the show and she's, uh, she started a podcast. So she sent me a thing and she has just gone to, she and her husband went to, they live in LA, I think a rage room. Like you can go yeah. pay to go to a rage. I had no idea. But well, oh yes, so I I like that. I want I want to ask you though. You you're on judgment. I mean, huge topic and something in your you know talking about that in your book. You talked about worth. So uh, my folks that they've heard me be talking about this recently because it's where my therapist has me talking about is my self worth because I came up in that feeling of I, I got to perform, I got to achieve for everybody for my self worth. So it's not there, right? So okay, so we look at that. So we did something, something bad happens, and I'm going to use a story out of your book because it's a great sure. place to go, and I'm going to try to be as tactful as I can and compassionate <laughs> as I can with this. Okay, you ready? Yeah. So you tell a story about a girl in your book and she is with a guy. They're super close. They're talking babies, whatever. And then he breaks up with her mm-hmm. and then, you know, pretty quick. She kind of seems resilient, bounces back. Right. And finds another guy in a whirlwind. Everything seems great. And he totally ghosts her. And then I did. So I stopped reading there cause I I'd had my question. I didn't want to know anymore cause we'll talk about it now. Because right there we're saying, okay, this dude, this is not, don't judge yourself. Let's use the words. This is not your self-worth. Okay. This is, this is not terrible. So, you know, pick yourself up and and, and bounce back. Okay. Yes. Not your self-worth. And yet we do make mistakes sometimes that are, we do have responsibility for, and you said the word awareness. It is a good place. So I'm going to, I'm going to put that and you, you, you play with it then. For her to say, okay, gosh, let's, cause let's say it happens two more times. You know, she meets people, she's beautiful, she's a good conversation, they talk, they have a, you know, whirlwind time, and then these guys are gone. At some point, you kind of go, well, let's, you know, you're awesome, but let's, let's just, let's, let's do a little audit here. Maybe, maybe something's up. And it's not that you're bad. It's not against your self worth, but no different than stepping on the tennis court. I may be the best athlete in the world, but if I've never played tennis, I'm gonna suck. So I'm awesome just don't know how to play tennis well. So maybe there's some relational, I I like the word ignorance because ignorance does not mean dumb. It does not mean unintelligent. You can be Einstein and be ignorant of playing (laughs) tennis because he's never done it. Okay. So play with that because I I feel like we tend to polarize and it's just, you know, Oh, I suck. No, you don't. You're awesome. But you might have, you might have some blind spots. Yeah.
Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I, I know the, the, the client that you're talking about. And let's, I mean, let's face it. We do have, you know, we've, we've heard stories about this. It's probably happened to us as well. It's very easy to ghost people, um, you know, in this stage of, of the dating game. But what we're really talking about and we're really peeling back after is, you know, I think this was pre and in pre's case, yeah, she went into spiral mode pity party of one. Why me? Why is this happening? Why am I not dateable? Am am I not going to find my next person? And so we start thinking that we are not good enough, that what we're doing is not good enough, that we're never going to find love again in this situation. Can I, can I put another analogy for you? Let's say, let's say you're out there as a, as a striving entrepreneur and it's now your third business that you've totally failed. And you're thinking her, like her, I'm just undateable. And over here thinking, well, I just have no business, you know, starting a a bit or running a business or or whatever. And we're going to discount the whole thing as opposed to, okay, so keep going. Yeah. Or as opposed to, you know, let's, this is where, this is where we take the personal responsibility. This is where we start building, okay, our bounce factor. And we start looking at our past. So that first aspect that I kind of alluded to earlier, the first building block is, you know, looking at your past or your upbringing. All right. Well, what about it? Okay, well, for her in this situation, or even the entrepreneur that failed three different businesses, what were you told about success growing up, whether it was in a relationship, whether it was just yourself? You know, did it mean that you had to win all the games? Did it mean that you had to be, you know, the the the, the prettiest one in the room? Whatever whatever the case is, but were you, you know, uh, praised on uh, your achievements? Did you have to perform? Um, you know, all of these kind of uh, strings that we have that lead back into who that little boy or that little yeah. girl was that wanted that attention yeah. way back when. And now we're actually seeing this play out in the failed business or in the failed relationship because then we think, wow, I am not good enough or there might not be enough for me to partake in. There's three fear cultures that come up. And the first fear culture, which you know, starts to happen is we think I'm not good enough or we think, okay, there's not very many good partners out there or there's not, you know, all of the businesses are saturated. How can I actually put another business into play? There is not enough, right? So that's the scarcity mindset. And then the last one is this is not good enough. This is not good enough. So what I'm working on is not good enough. Um, you know, the this relationship isn't good enough. And that's where we self-sabotage. Uh, and so that's where we have to then look back and say, wow, look at my patterns in relationship. Yeah. What were the actual factors here? Or what's been my pattern in my leadership style? What are the gaps? And it's so hard when we are coming from that victim place. And if we don't acknowledge that, oh, wow, this is a really sucky moment. It sucks to be in this. And that's the uncomfortable spot that we have to kind of move through in order to get to the other side to say, all right, I know it's not just me, but I know like what, that's where the now what comes in. There's a whole process around that sucked. And first it's to embrace the suck, acknowledge what sucked, sit in the suck and, and, and yeah. you know, embrace the feelings around the suckiness and what, 
what, if anything, is there a meaning that you make from that suck? And this is where most people get, you know, confused yeah. about because then they think, well, I suck or I'm not good enough or gosh, I'm just not good at this. Well, okay, fine. Feel those emotions because what does that make you feel? That makes me feel unworthy. That makes me feel stupid. That makes me feel unlovable. That makes me feel, you know, crappy, whatever. But this is where we identify those feelings. We don't take it on, but we say, I'm feeling X. And then we say, all right, well, what can I learn from this? And it's not going to happen overnight. Like, it's not going to be, all right, you go through a breakup and right away, what can I learn from this relationship? (laughs) No, it doesn't work that way. Um, You know, you you might sit in the suck for a longer period of time. Most people, highly ambitious people, high-functioning drive people, they don't want to sit in the suck. They're like, because our society has primed us to say, all right, bounce back, let's go, stand up, let's go, let's go, let's fly forward. What I'm saying is give yourself permission to suck. You won't get stuck in it, I promise, because the actual emotional sensations of feeling the bigness of our feelings is, yeah, we let out a cry or we let out a scream or we let out rage and we, we, you know, may crumple papers or, you know, punch a pillow or something like that. But then underneath it is somebody that's just feeling a little hurt and it's giving agency to that little boy or that little girl in you that yeah didn't win on the soccer field or did fail the first few of her tests and you're giving space for that little girl or little boy to heal because that's the foundation and that's the cycle of healing and then we can move to the now what bouncing back i mean your first category in there and you've mentioned it multiple times here and you just you know hit on it there is is our upbringing and in looking that at that uh i mean right away need i i thought you know that's something that i was given as a gift was mm-hmm. the ability kind of the hero's journey to, to to go off pursue what you want to you have a failure man that's how you learn and given that faith on a, a silver platter that man it's okay not to knock it out of the park you can't until you, know, you got to keep failing and, and trying until you do and i had parents who were entrepreneurial parents so i couldn't mm-hmm. not see their failures and stuff and to see that Failure would happen in a business, in, in the sense, money, you know, whatever. Yep. And at the end of the day, we had dinner, and we watched, you know, Dallas or Dukes of Hazard. I, I grew up in Kentucky. We talked about that. So you know, uh, <laughs> and life goes on. Doesn't mean that they're not a little stressed, that they're a little sad or whatever. But life still goes on. And as a kid, next day I go to school, and, and it's okay. It didn't wreck me. And I've since then found what a gift that I wasn't shielded mm-hmm. uh, from that, and how rare. That is that the majority of us, yeah, grow up and security and comfort is kind of the focus, which as you're a parent, I mean, you don't want to just say, hey, kid, you're going to learn today. I'm going to kick you out. Come back in a few days. See if you make it. Um, But letting them see 
this, the trials, let them sit in the suck with you or be aware of the suck is such a gift. So I was given that and I'm just, and I've, as I've gotten older, realized how rare that is and that people, when they're not exposed to that, then to come out, especially if they are really taken care of with great intending caregivers and they go into school and school for most people is not dramatic. You know, if you do the homework and do this test, you're going to be okay. And you come out and then you go to college and things are still kind of okay. And now you get a job and and that first failure comes and we know that we've got a generation who seems to be statistically kind of devastated when somebody says, no, actually dude, that sucked. You did a bad job <gasps> and we can't handle that. And so, yeah, going back to the upbringing, I think to me, it's just, and your book really brought it out. It's just so profound and the value in going back and understanding, were you given some what some strength in in this bounce back in this or were you totally shield? So you're you're a newbie at this. This is going to be you have to sit. You're, this is going to take a while. Well, yeah, and I I love that you bring that up because you know it's it's a lot of it could even be the you know the micro um, the micro traumas. It doesn't have to be right, you know right. just it doesn't have to be loss or divorce or sexual trauma or or bullying. You know, a lot of times we've all been bullied, but it also depends on well, were our caregivers supportive of it? You know, for for mine, uh, you know, I remember in the seventh grade coming home and having a bully, um, you know, threaten me in school, and I didn't want to go. I, I didn't want to go, you know, to the bathroom because that's where they were. And you know, I think in my, from our culture, it was like, all right, study, just study. That's the answer to everything. Yeah. Because if you get good straight A's, then, you know, it doesn't matter. Well, you know, taking a really small situation for me back then was huge. So basically you're gaslighting the kid, mm -hmm. um, into thinking that it's their fault and we're not even addressing the big elephant in the room. And so if that was your upbringing or even if maybe you were a latchkey kid and you just weren't talked to about these things and you had to learn the hard way or maybe you had helicopter parents where you know, they're, they're calling the teachers to have you move the test yeah. so that when they get into college and they fail their first test, they want to, you know, take their own life. And I've seen that. I've talked to some of those moms, you know, in these really amazing um, neighborhoods in the country because they are like, how do we teach resiliency to our kids? And this is happening, you know, obviously way more often within the last five years than ever before. And, you know, and, and again, because if we know better, we want to sometimes solve our kids' problems yeah, instead yeah. of actually giving them agency to actually fail in a safe way and say, you know what, that's okay. You know, we can pick up <laughs> yeah. again. I, and I, it's, I'm laughing cause I did that. So I have, um, yeah. I have nine kids. Um, what? yeah, I know. I know. And that I just, I have no justification uh, for that, but I've got nine, nine, oh nine. Oh my gosh. You're my, you're my spirit animal. You're my hero. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, thank you for that. But we had, we had three, uh, and thought we were done. I was still a pro cyclist at the time and, you know, we were traveling and stuff. So we had three and we're done. So then we had a gap and then we got the second litter in essence, uh, after that. And, and the first yeah. ones I had, I, I did, I took, it was part of my own Superman complex and I'm just going to take care of everything. And I don't even think I was trying to coddle them. I just, I'm going to take care of that. And, and how I did not give them 
agency. We talk about it now. The younger kids, I kind of stepped back and one, I was just burning out from trying to do everything. And so I, I kind of stepped back and then I'm also realizing this and going, Oh my gosh, I'm totally robbing them of the ability to do it. And when I stepped back to realize how much they just took care of on their own, my plate got way cleaner uh, or emptier, I should say one. And two, they're amazing. I can't believe that I tried to take care and, and protect and shield and fix and whatever with my older kids. So I had a unique, you know, uh, look at that and you, you know, so I talk about, I was given this bounce back an aspect of it, at least well from my family you were, I mean, you fit two big categories, obviously. One is now you weren't an immigrant, right? But your parents both were. Mm-hmm. And we know that, that, what do they call it? The immigrant effect, whatever. They come over and see just opportunity and they kick butt for the most part. Um, and, right. as, so you had that going for you. And then there's a study and Zig Ziglar always cited it. And I never found the actual study, but where they did it of all these world leaders, whether it's CEOs or the big world changers or whatnot. And it was something like, and I'm grandly paraphrasing 80% or so of them had came from poverty or they or their siblings had some kind of a handicap or, or whatever, like you who you know, death uh, from that. And from, and you learn that it's just not all about you and you're forced to be resilient or be overcome by it. So you had, you know, you get, you had both of those that happened to you. Now you're not going to go, that's the interesting thing with kids. You're not going to go create trauma for your kids. Right. 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 No. And I mean, in, in many ways, you know, I think that at some level they, they will have their own, battles to face right and and i think hopefully. that we can try to hopefully and 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 hopefully we can try to help with that and that's kind of where that you know step 2 of the bounce factor comes in where we are able to Yes, question our past and actually make peace with it. Sometimes we had, we favored a parent. Sometimes we were slighted by a parent or a caregiver. Sometimes we've been holding grudges around it. Or maybe we realized that the boys were treated differently and the girls were treated differently. Or, you know, birth order, you're treated differently, right? right? And there's sibling rivalry. Whatever that case is, that's all in the upbringing. Now, this can also be, well, you know, what did you learn to be true when you were younger? And now you think every, everyone is bad. It's kind of like when that, that case of, of pre who's dating, you know, she's had a couple of bad apples in dating and now she thinks all men are bad or whatever the case is. A, a, A type of guy is, is terrible because she got ghosted a few times. Right. And so, well, we have to look back at our past patterns and see, is that relevant? And do we actually believe those things? So that's part one is, yeah. is your upbringing. Part yeah. two is looking at your current environment. And, and this is the big one. This is like, you can't change your past, obviously. But what we can do is we can look at our current environment and see, how am I complacent? Because that's what I told those moms who who had children who did take their lives or they did lose three people to suicide that year. You know, when I spoke in the Bay Area in Bay Area, Silicon Valley, you have a lot of high achievers. And so this was literally one of the things that I spoke about because one of the moms um, got wind of my work around resilience and grit. And they said, wow, you've been through a lot as a teenager. Can you come and speak to the moms? Because what are we doing wrong? 
And is there a solution? How can we build resiliency in our teens? And because we just lost three people this year. And this was, you know, a while back, but it really got me thinking and how I could really crystallize this framework because, and what is actually needed. And you, you cite the Zig Ziglar, um, you know, study and definitely you can see, you know, study after study, seeing the adversity and, you know, even putting kids through sports, right. That helps build a healthy foundation of seeing, okay, this is, you know, this is what failure looks like. This is what setbacks look like. I'm not going to do everything for you, but we're actually slowly building the cadence to suck at something new. And that's looking at our current environment. We're actually activating good stress because when we're activating good stress by saying yes to the things that we are afraid of, right? It's kind of like, I grew up in, you know, a Filipino Indian household. And so you don't talk back to your elders. You don't, um, you know, you speak when you're spoken to kind of a thing. Uh, but when I would see my, you know, my Jewish neighbors and their kids, you know, they had a bat mitzvah, bar mitzvah and, and doing a whole speech while, while they were 12 or, or whatever, like, you know, 13. And I'm like, wow, that's different. I could never do that. And again, it's 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 because at those ages they're primed to speak in public. Well, what's the the number one fear that everybody has? Yeah. Public speaking. Yeah. Can we start that sooner? Um, and so, uh, you know, and this kind of goes into well. Uh, you know, strength training, waking up at 5 a.m. Like these are all these physical ways of starting to slowly build and introduce ourselves to, you know, the good stress, the good stress that kind of builds that resiliency, the good stress to suck at something new. You know, I've had uh, parents ask me, is it okay to take your kids to um, a different part of the world? Because, you know, they're so afraid that their kids are growing up too privileged. And I was like, well, absolutely. Like I went to India when I was three, when I was five, when I was, you know, 10. And I would see that, whoa, we have a very different lifestyle living in the U.S. Like I would go back to India and my, you know, um, and, and, and they're like a middle class family, but water is such a big deal that you would shower with a bucket and you would take that bucket, you'd heat it up and, you know, you, you know, wash yourself with that bucket. And, and these were just like the tiny things that would evoke the good stress so that when you came back, it was something that you spoke about. It was something that you talk about, right? I'm not saying that everybody needs to go to India to teach, you know, their kids resiliency or, but there are, you know, certain things, you know, can you go and, you know, volunteer at a homeless shelter and have that conversation, right? And so that is that second pillar, which is activating good stress. And then we get into the third one. And this is my favorite in the fate. And, and this is my favorite because this is about your emotional capacity to feel. And this is what we've been kind of alluding to is feeling your feelings, identifying them, you know, not sticking, not, not, not owning it as your identity, but actually saying, I'm feeling X and allowing yourself to feel the depths of those feelings because we think we're going to stay there. We think we're going to cry all day long. Actually, when you let a few tears out or when you let that scream out, what we're doing is we're activating our vagus nerve. Our vagus nerve actually, you know, scientifically, it calms our nervous system. 
And it's the only nerve that's connected from our brain all the way down to our toes, yeah. but it actually activates our rest and digest. That's why singing is really important. That's why sometimes you feel better after you've screamed or, you know, maybe you've yelled at somebody, but you actually feel better. You probably feel bad, but because it allows us to calm our nervous system. And then the last part of this four part bounce factor is your RSA. And that is the biggest gift that you can give to yourself is your RSA, which is your radical self-awareness your RSA to actually hone in and not look to others for that external validation, right? Because scientists say that there's, we have our internal locus of control and our external locus of control. Majority of us look to others, you know, for that validation. But if we can start training ourselves to look inward and say, does this feel good to me right now? Am I going to say yes to that thing? Should I actually do that thing that I keep saying that I'm going to do? Or is that just not in my season of life right now? And, and that is, that's what we really want to build for is our RSA. And that's really, you know, the the discussion on boundaries and that's the hardest thing for, for people. You, I, I mean, overall with this, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about back again to the hero's journey. And I mean, I'm well acquainted with that. I think most people listening are, but I feel like you, for some reason, I'm feeling it elevated elevated yeah. in the hero's journey, because we're talking about, you talked about good stress. We, we always give stress a bad name and without stress, we, if my muscle does not have stress, it atrophies. I, I don't want that. So I'm going to go work it out today. Uh, that's the good stress. And on this hero's journey, if we're going to step out and do something again, that ma- we all want purpose that matters to us, that matters to, to other people. It's going to be challenging by proxy. That is the hero's journey. And we're going to have an obstacle. And without that, life is boring as heck. And I think that's why we see the apathy and depression so often without the purpose. And so I almost want you to create like a, a that sucked club. So if you have not, let's, I want people with a great list of things that you've encountered that really suck. Cause that means you're probably out there doing things that are worthwhile or you've endured things. Now, obviously we want to, balance that. I don't know if balance is even a good word, but have the tension of, and bouncing back, having resilience, because if you just got a long list of crap, that's, that's not the point. It's, it's that, that, and right. It's, it's what it's redefining what your now, what is actually have, it's funny that you say this because, um, we have people, you know, writing in, you know, and they hashtag that suck now, what, and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll tag me on Instagram, but they'll do their, that suck, like their sucky moment. And they're now what, how they reframed it, what they did differently, what that failure led to. And so it's really fun to see, you know, what people have kind of gone through in their suck or what they've chosen to embrace to suck at. And then what that now, what actually looks like. Well, you mentioned the word adversity and that may, I'm sitting here playing with it. That may be the best. That's what we're talking about that. I, I don't understand life without adversity. I'm saying that in a good way. And I kind of really don't understand people who haven't uh, I just went on a guy's trip. Uh, there's 12 of us going to Mexico and it was, oh, it was kind of an athlete's group and most of them had businesses and you kind of sit around and tell war stories. And it's kind of neat because you're also sitting there in Mexico. So obviously you didn't end up, you know, uh, bereft in the gutter or whatever. So <laughs> 
you want to share those because maybe, yeah, this happened and that was awesome. And that was, I think one of the highlights from the trip is one guy on the mountain bike uh, ride fell off the side of a cliff and shattered his shoulder. And yet, I know it's terrible, but everybody's kind of like going now, that's kind of cool, man. It makes a really good story for him. (laughs) You know, he made it out and and he surfed in any ways, you know, and did did us stuff. And we like those if we can frame them correctly but how do we elevate and give health to the man you want adversity and you want to deal with it well and it you got me thinking about it it was actually in the area of talking about entitlement and i just got to thinking in what you wrote about our expectations as well that so much of this you just talked about radical self-awareness is also i want to be aware of if i'm going to go out and do this thing that's not super easy which we all want to, we want to achieve something cool. If we do set the expectation and, and what you're saying is there's going to be adversity. Don't let that direct. If we could expect that more, it feels like I'm preparing myself now to bounce back. If I have my expectations. Okay. Totally, totally. And I, I think that it's, you know, as we're bringing up, you know, our expectations, many times we have really high expectations and many times we, you know, we we're, we're entitled in our thinking when we don't get what we had sought to get. Basically we didn't win what we were going to that startup never took off despite so much of our efforts. And then we're like, Oh, but you know, I I should be getting that. I should be getting that award or I should be getting that thing because it didn't work out for me in the past. And so when we are having a mindset of entitlement, we're coming from that place of lack. Remember that fear culture that I just talked about of there isn't enough for everyone. Therefore, if there isn't enough for everyone, I'm going to come from a place of lack um, and, you know, either hoard my resources, not share with somebody, um, you know, pretend like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, but what I'm really trying to do is I'm trying to compete to be at the top because there isn't room for everyone else instead of actually, you know, being compassionate for where I'm at. The entitlement, again, reading through what you wrote on there has me thinking it and I haven't defined it well. Maybe you can help me here. Of, yeah. of we tend to think about that as an entitlement towards, hey, this is what the world owes me. This is what I deserve. And I'm thinking entitlement, if I'm looking at expectations again, too, I want to be entitled as unto myself. Again, I'm stumbling with how to, how, how to define that because I was thinking about it just this morning in prep for this, that mm-hmm. I want to be entitled to myself, that I'm entitled to self-care. I'm entitled to boundaries. You mentioned that a bit ago. We've had Nedra Glover-Twab on the show twice now. Um, oh, I love her. Yeah, yeah. And I want to be entitled to those things. But those are within, back to the aspect of my personal responsibility as opposed to my entitlement as unto what I think others should be given me. So it's an expectation of and towards myself feels okay. But if it's outwardly directed, you kind of, you just mentioned that a minute ago, the, would you say the internal locus as opposed to the external, the external locus of control Yes, where, where it's, where we're actually directing it, you know, to other people to validate who we are and, and, and what we do. And so it can also go the other way, right? Because when we're actually talking, and I think what you're alluding to and what I actually differentiate in the book is our ability to be deserving of something. 
right? Mm-hmm. Versus yeah. the entitlement yeah. of, uh, in, in, you know, this is coming up a lot, especially as, you know, the Gen Z's are hitting the, the market of working. And, and I think, you know, there's an article before when, um, when the millennials were hitting the workplace and, uh, and I can't remember what article it was, but there was an interesting article around, well, and they want, you know, less hours and they want, you know, more flexibility in their schedules. And you'll see these memes on social media of, you know, a Gen Xer is, you know, doesn't take any time off of work. And then they have um, the millennials. They're like, yes, can I go to this, um, you know, this wedding? I will work all weekend with my laptop. And then the Gen Zers, they're like, well, I'm off at, you know, 2 p.m. on a Friday and I'm not going to check any emails all weekend. And so that just kind of goes to show you that, uh, you know, kind of, quote unquote, the entitlement generation of of Gen Z's or, you know, the 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 discussion around that. And there was an article that that really talked about that. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is that is a really good example of you know, of, of entitlement versus deserving entitlement comes from a place of lack that that is my birthright. I need to get, you know, a raise every three months just because, right. And then we have, uh, whereas our millennials are even, or sorry, the, the, the Gen Xers and even baby boomers, you know, they're like, well, you don't ask for a raise until you prove your worth, uh-huh. right? And that's kind of culturally what was thought of. But yeah. you know, now in this day and age, when we have this new discussion, that's what's coming up with with people. You know, the the difference in the generations. And I uh, struggle with that need. I mean, I've got, I've got kids, you know, that are are late twenties now, and we're having these discussions. Yeah, and um, I'm. All I know, even if you take out the generational aspect, I would say being growing up in a family, an entrepreneurial home where parents own a businesses and own multiples. And, you know, we had success. They had successes and failures. That's what I grew up in. That's, I don't know anything else that that's, that is all, you know, you, you're yeah. a business owner today. You, if you want it time off, well, you earn it. Can you afford it? Uh, you know, if you need the extra money, you go make yep. that. And so having that business mentality, which I do hold up with that because setting the expectations and looking at personal responsibility. And I've seen that with my kids that they have now taken that into the workplace, not to discount unfairness in workplace environments or, or whatnot. Right. Wait, right. We're not yeah. talking about that. Yeah. I mean, we're, 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 and I think also, cause I, I even the, the, the chapter that you're talking about in the book and I just opened it up because I do talk about, you know, um, the entitlement trap yeah. on how, yes, for ourself and for that building that internal locus of control for ourself of Yes, we are deserving of, or you can actually, yes, you, you know, you use entitled too, but I wanted to, you know, distinguish the two. The deserving is, <clears throat> it is, it, it is our right to deserve to be happy, to deserve to have abundance. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk nowadays around manifestation, especially for these younger uh, generations. And there's so many memes and TikToks around mm-hmm. it and Instagrams and things like that around, okay, I'm just going to manifest my dream job or I'm going to just manifest my dream partner. Well, that is, you know, that's, that's kind of leaning into this idea around 
yeah, I am deserving and I'm worthy of love. So it's a very different way. And if we're talking about worthiness right before we would think, Hey, I need to prove my worthiness to you. Now I'm actually going to fully believe that I'm worthy to attract this love, this job, this, you know, abundant life. But there's one more caveat there (laughs) that we're forgetting is we need to work for that. Yeah. And entitlement, when that comes along and we see the rags to riches story, or we see the, you know, we don't, we don't really see the behind the scenes on social media, which is why a lot of times we think that, oh, this happened overnight. So like the overnight success, and we don't think that there's been multiple failures behind the scenes that contributed to somebody's overnight success, seemingly, or, um, you know, that they've had a lot of failures along the way, but now they're starting to get, it's it's compounded, uh, you know, compounded interest basically and compounded time that they're mm-hmm. now succeeding. And so, and so, yeah, I wanted to actually talk about the differences between entitlement, between deserving and between privilege and actually to, you know, call that out and have these discussions in our families so that when we encounter a sucky moment so that when we encounter a failure that we're not fully just internalizing it on ourselves to go all the way back down and judge our self-worth because something didn't happen we're priming ourselves for what i call the next part of the book um which is to fly forward past those sucky moments priming i I love that word that feels like the a heart a thread a vibe of your book is is that because we're priming ourselves to be able to mm-hmm. bounce back in health. And, and I do want people to hear that because you do such a good job and I don't think it has been addressed well, I've, or if it has, I've missed it somewhere else. So thank you for your book and being here to do that <laughs> of saying bounce back is not just again, standing back up. We see so many of those old yeah. you know, hero memes of, ah, it's not how many times you fall down, it's how many times you stand up. Dude, if you're falling down constantly doing the same thing, apparently you haven't learned anything. And that was, it was actually David Meltzer. Uh, a lot of people know him. He's a well-known yeah. author and speaker. He was on the show a, quite a while ago. And, but it was during that time when we were talking and, and riffing on something. He said, and he said to that, to that extent, if you you know, or falling down and having that thing and get back up, that may be okay. But if it keeps happening, you apparently haven't learned the lesson. So back to your RSA, radical self-awareness, that it's probably a valid exercise, isn't it needed to take, okay, look at, look at the things that happened in you. If you go through your list, what happened in your upbringing, what's happening in your environment now, and go through all those things and do an audit and say, okay, these things happen. Did you learn anything that it kind, of, it kind of hit me when he said, when David Meltzer said that, and I thought, okay, I'm kind of getting a vibe here that I, I've had some things happen that I've theoretically bounced back from, but maybe not because it's happened more than once. And I don't oh, know that I, I learned anything. Absolutely. I think that's such a, you know, one of the, one of the things that I talk about in, um, you know, in part one of the book, actually part two of the book where we get into the bounce factor yeah, and we get into RSA specifically RSA and, and kind of building and training that muscle. Because if you were taught growing up that, oh, I have to, you know, I've got to follow the rules. I've got to, you know, do this thing. I have to, you know, always ask or, or look outward and see, oh, okay. Did, 
you know, did my parents see me perform well and, and, and see my trophy, you know, we're kind of looking again for that external validation versus growing that muscle of radical self-awareness, tuning into what feels in alignment and tuning into, all right, am I proud of myself? And did I meet my own expectations and am I actually using, am I, am I addressing my humanity about how I'm actually feeling, AKA my self-compassion about something about how this business is doing, or, you know, I tried so hard on this and man, I still suck, but okay, here's what I'm going to do, you know? And so to really look inward and just only you know, really look at yourself. And so there's a, there's a, it's, I call it a POC. It's a personal observation check-in and it's an exercise that you can do. And I talk about it, you know, part two of the book where what went well this week, what didn't go well, what could have gone differently and what are you proud of? Like, what are your wins? And your wins doesn't have to be that, um, you know, doesn't have to be so big. It could be, I, I had a difficult conversation today or I took a five, minutes to just breathe in my car without anything playing. I took a pause. Those could be those wins, but how did it make you feel? How did you feel overall? Were you energized? Did you feel depleted? And then we kind of go deeper into, all right, if you did feel depleted, um, you know, were you talking to a boss? Were you talking to, are there relationships in your life that make you feel depleted or make you feel energized? And so we go into like subsections and subcategories, but that's one of the ways. And to your point of, you know, really analyzing your bounce factor, you could actually create like a cross on a piece of paper or, you know, if you're driving, obviously don't do this, but this is another exercise where you can actually take, you know, four quadrants of a piece of paper and you write your upbringing or past, Mm -hmm. right? And you write um, your current environment and do an analysis. And, you know, the third part of this is, and we're actually working on, we actually have resources on thatsucknowwhat.com forward slash resources. For those of you who do get the book, we have, Kind of that you could actually, you know, see for yourself because many times we're so visual, mm-hmm. but to actually see, okay, emotional capacity, how am I with these emotions? How am I with grief? Does that make me feel like I want to run away? Uh, how am I with joy? Is yeah. it performance joy or am I able to feel joy and contentment by myself? All right, what are those activities that I'm doing? When am I feeling stressed out? When am I feeling rageful or angry? When am I feeling overwhelmed and stressed? When am I feeling judgmental? When am I feeling resentful? Because those are the ones that uh, the resentment, the frustration, the anxiety, the judgment, those are the emotions that give us information. It gives us data as to, okay, is there a conversation that needs to be had with myself or with somebody else? Because usually, you know, those things ruminate and they ruminate in our heads and then we start judging the thing or the person or, you know, um, and we start making stories in our mind, but we're the one feeling something they might not. And so that's how we get super clear on a piece of paper. And then finally the RSA, right? You know, so one, two, three, four quadrants and in your RSA, okay, how am I feeling today? What am I checking in with? Um, is something feeling harder than usual? 
am I giving myself space? Mm-hmm. Am I saying yes to things that I really mean to say no to? Mm-hmm. Or am I, uh, am I taking that time for myself? And so that is a really good, you know, balance of, of really building your emotional resiliency. Yeah, it's a great, uh, as we talked about uh, Nedra Glover 12 minute ago, what a great companion book to take the two. Uh, oh. Your book and, and hers are, that's a powerful duo. I, I mean, you know, again, a, a culmination of this, I keep thinking of as you're talking, Nita, is the idea of bouncing back. It's not something that you just have or not. It's something that is you saying, this is something that you're going to understand through your awareness, what your propensities are. And now you can bolster and grow it. So you have the ability when the next thing happens, which hopefully the next thing will happen, but hopefully it's not the same old thing. It kind of makes me think of, uh, it's not the same mistake over and over that you're going to look at that. You're going to have awareness. You're going to have a lesson. You're going to grow. And hopefully that mistake won't happen. There's a lot of mistakes that I make that I don't want to see happen again, but I do want to be growing and evolving and pursuing something else of worth. So I make a new mistake on a higher level. And when it happens, boom, man, I can bounce back. And totally. give it, you're giving us a different vernacular. It's kind of, I'm thinking of Brene Brown's recent book, Atlas of the Heart. And she's given this, this whole new vernacular on not just a, you know, a couple emotions, three emotions, five, 10, 15. She's another 87 that you're doing that on. Okay. If you want to be resilient, another Brene Brown word, but if you want to be resilient, you want to be able to bounce back from these things that are going to happen. And you kind of want them to, if you're doing anything of value, but here's how to do it with health and you're expanding our vernacular and giving us the, the, the steps to work through. So, well, that's why you're here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we're, we're shifting, you know, it's happening now with even the future of work and the future of how we even raise our children. Mm-hmm. We're, we have so much capacity to not be hard on ourselves because that was the way yeah that we were trained and, you know, with the rise of so much, you know, with mental health struggles, especially in the last few years, there was a CDC study that came out or New York times article that came out that, you know, girls are twice as more likely to harm themselves. Teen girls, um, ever since the rise of, you know, um, uh, social media started in, I think 2011 is, is what the New York times article talks about. And basically it's the CDC study that came out that girls are twice as mm. more likely to harm themselves than boys, teen, wow. teen girls. And I just thought, wow, that's really interesting because yeah, let's, let's now talk about it. Let's talk about the emotions that we are facing and feeling. Let's normalize the suck. Let's normalize that we're not going to be toxically positive because that doesn't really work. And that we can embrace the, you know, the, the, the moments that make us human and that we can still heal from it and look at those patterns and say, if the same mistake is happening over again, all right, I need to either, well, something is not right. I haven't healed my past or I haven't seen where that part is coming from. Am I exposing myself to new things that will build my tenacity for uh, good stress? Am I evoking new good stress every day or am I sitting in my bubble? because my bubble feels really good and it feels safe and it feels complacent. And am I allowing myself to actually feel those feelings? And if you are afraid to do that by yourself, I mean, you just spoke 
you know, at, at nauseum, uh, Kevin, that get a therapist or get a coach mm -hmm. or, you know, utilize, which is why I was so adamant about creating, you know, a companion for the book, which, you know, everyone who does get the book, you get a 44 page digital guide that actually literally begins your self healing journey, uh, where you can start to do the exercises, you can invite friends to, you know, do it with you, because it's always great when we're doing it with community, I think, and you can actually even do it with your family. So I, we're changing the conversation. You are. And, and I, I find myself wanting to say thank you uh, for help, for being here to help us normalize the suck. Uh, it's actually, it's just such a good term because it's as we though, not pessimistically, this isn't normalize the suck by just saying, add ah, the world sucks and life sucks. No, it's normalizing <laughs> the suck on this hero's journey that is yeah. doing worthwhile things and finding purpose and fulfillment in life that that's going to come by proxy, hard things, normalize and, and to some degree, again, elevate it. So I'm going to, so as soon as you start, you're that sucked club. Uh, I want to, I'll apply, uh, with my list of things that I'm, I'm it, it, not that I don't have regrets, but a lot that I'm grateful for because it's what yeah. has helped me continue on to where I am now. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Nita, thanks for being so candid in your book and even here today and mm -hmm. helping us embrace life. And, and I think the goodness of life as well. It's just a gift. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for this conversation, Kevin. This was amazing. Friends, this is part one of a series on Dr. Nita Bouchon and this topic of bouncing back from resilience. Uh, the next episode will be my values and motives and habits show with Nita and we'll dig more into her personal story and how she guides her clients in being resilient. Her book again is That Sucked, Now What? How to Embrace the Joy in Chaos and Find Magic in the Mess. If you'll go to thatsuckednowwhat.com, no, Nita has a free 44-page guide you can have. Again, that's thatsuckednowwhat.com for a free 44-page guide. Thank you so much for tuning in to this self-helpful podcast where I strive to help you and me elevate our personal experience of life and the way we show up for others. Stay driven, my friends.